It's good to see you tonight. If you would, turn to Second Chronicles chapter 31. Second Chronicles 31. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the time that we have together tonight. As Brother Berto mentioned just a moment ago, thank you for a warm place that we can assemble this evening on a cold night. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that you'd help us to give attention to it tonight. I pray that you'd help us to listen and to make application where it would be necessary. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, you may remember that I preached from the life of Hezekiah that he had a desire to reopen the temple, the temple that his father had closed because of his idolatry and his worship of false gods. And so once the temple was reopened and once they had done some offerings and some sacrifices and begun the process of getting the temple back to where it needed to be, it was last week that we watched as Hezekiah decided that they needed to, as a nation, observe the Passover. And so there were messengers that were sent out throughout all the land of Israel, not just in the southern kingdom where Hezekiah was the king, but up into the northern region as well. And so all the Israelites from all portions of the land had been invited to come and observe this Passover, this very special event in the life of a Jew. And you'll remember that there were some who met that invitation with laughing and scorning and mocking them. And I talked about how that, no doubt, could have been a source of disappointment. It could have been a source of frustration. But Hezekiah made the choice to carry on. And as a result of carrying on and not letting those who were not interested distract him, there were many who were blessed and there were many who were helped and rejoiced as a result of observing the Passover. And so last week I tried to make simple application in our lives that it is true for many of us that sometimes when we feel as though God has led us to do something or we have some kind of a desire, there, it just seems that there are always people who are not interested in what we're trying to do or what we're trying to accomplish, and that can be discouraging sometimes, can't it? It can be discouraging, it can be frustrating, it can be so disappointing. And if we're not careful, what we do is we give our attention to the ones who are not participating as opposed to the ones who have chosen to participate. And if we focus on the wrong thing, then you and I will miss out on a blessing. And so for us, at least for myself anyways, what I have to do, and maybe some of you can identify with this, is what we have to do is force ourselves to look at who is present, who is a part of it, and not get discouraged. We just have to carry on as though everyone is participating the way we'd like them to. Sometimes you've got to fake it, but sometimes that's the only way you can get through it, right? That's right. Now tonight we're going to move on, and as we do, I want to begin this evening by asking you a couple of questions or asking you to think about something as it relates to questions. That's probably the better way to say it. I want us to think about this thought tonight, that over the course of our lives, we are going to be asked difficult questions. Would you agree? If you don't believe that, go back to your days in school. Did you ever sit down with a test on your desk and you began reading through the questions and you were just convinced that the teacher was trying to flunk you? Did you ever walk away from a test and say, man, that was a hard test? Well, you know why it was a hard test, don't you? Because you thought the questions were hard. Now, as that is so, you understand this to be true as well, I think, that, that whenever you become a parent, you get asked some tough questions, don't you? 
You know, once the kids start realizing uh, mommy or daddy is doing this and they have this thought process working in their minds and, and you can't just tell them, oh, don't worry about it, it's okay, it's no big deal. Sometimes kids ask you questions and you think, well, wow, that was kind of a tough question to answer. Have you ever been there? Okay, some of us have. I'll just share an area of my life where I get some tough questions every once in a while. That would be in the realm of ministry. Sometimes people say, hey, Brother Kyle, I was reading, and what does this mean? You know, my first thought is, well, like I would know. I mean, I don't have this thing memorized and just, oh, let me just pull that out of the Rolodex of my mind. Oh, sure, it means this. Now, a lot of times I have to say something like this. I have no idea, but if you'll give me some time, I'll try to look that up, and I'll try to study it out with everything else I've got to study, and I'll try to get you an answer for your individual question that you've got. But, but you know, could you not have just said, like, who was the first person that God created? I could give you that one, but no, you've been reading in Ezekiel, and you've got a question about this. And I'm like, I don't have any idea. Yesterday, Leah texted me, said, hey, Dad, when was John on the island of Patmos? I'm thinking, like I would know. Yeah, just earlier. You know, that's how I want to respond, but that wasn't what she was looking for. So you understand this thought, this idea that uh, hard questions are sometimes asked. Now, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I'm just going to throw this out, and we're going to build upon this, and we're going to move on. But of all the questions that I've been asked that I would say that was difficult in nature... I would think that this would have to be among the most difficult questions I've had to answer at different times in my life. And that would be questions of a personal nature. You understand what I'm talking about? You know, somebody's talking to you, somebody's visiting with you, maybe they're getting to know you, or maybe they're asking about something that they're kind of mildly aware of, and and they're asking you a personal question. Have you ever had somebody ask you a personal question and immediately the thought ran through your mind, I don't want to answer that question? That one's a tough one. It's tough if you think about it, not because we don't know the answer. It's tough because we do know the answer. I was visiting with someone this week. I was having lunch with them, and I was just making conversation, and I was learning some things about them, and this is what they said. I don't talk about this much because I don't like to talk about it. And I said to them, well, tell me to shut up. I'm just the one asking questions, and if you're answering them, and he said, no, 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 it's fine. I, I don't mind. I just, I don't like to talk about it. So ask yourself if you would agree with this, that probably there are certain things that you don't want anybody to mention to you. You'd rather them just not bring it up. You don't want them to ask you about it. You don't want to talk about it. Because to do so, it would probably bring up some old feelings, some old emotions, some old thoughts, or or some memories that don't need to be remembered. Some of the hardest questions we've got to answer sometimes are the personal questions, and they're difficult because we know the answers to them. So that being said, I want us to remember tonight as we get into the text what is the context of our text. I want us to remember that the children of Israel, under the leadership of Hezekiah, they have just observed the Passover, 
And what was intended to be a seven-day celebration had turned into an additional seven-day celebration. And so the children of Israel, those who have assembled for this observance, they've had a wonderful time. It's brought joy. It's brought gladness to those who have come together. But like all things in life, they must come to an end, right? So even this wonderful time of celebration, this wonderful time of observance and remembering what God had done for Israel many, many years prior to that day, as wonderful of a time as they had had together, it had to come to a close, it had to come to an end, and the people had to disperse and they had to get back to their normal way of life. So in Second Chronicles chapter 31, I want, us, I want us to notice just a couple of verses together. I want us to begin looking in verse number 1 and notice what it says. It says, Now when all this was finished, the observance of the Passover and the time spent together, it says, All Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah and break the images in pieces and cut down the groves and threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned unto, uh, returned every man to his possession into their own cities. So think about this. Here is Hezekiah. He has reopened the temple, and then sometime later, they are observing their first Passover in many, many years. It is a wonderful time of gladness and rejoicing and celebration. And as the people are dispersed, and as the people are going back to their places of work and home and where they live, their residency, it says that they break the images in pieces. Well, what does that mean? It means this, the false gods and the idols that would have been set up throughout the land the people took it upon themselves to break these images into pieces. That's somewhat remarkable, is it not? This was not necessarily under the leadership of Hezekiah. We don't have record, at least in this portion of Scripture, of him saying to the people, Now listen, on your way home, if you see some idols, be sure and bust them up. That's not what Hezekiah seems to be encouraging the people to do, but it seems to be a natural reaction to what it is they've just observed and what it is they've just participated in. And so this is significant. They began to take the images and they began to break them in pieces. And it says they cut down the groves and threw down the high places. Well, what does that mean? It means this, that that would have been the sacred places where many of them had once worshipped their false gods and worshipped the idols. And so they began to cut down the groves and they began to tear down or throw down these high places and then it says in the altars out of all judah and benjamin and ephraim and manasseh they did that as well they threw those down and so what are they doing they are destroying anything that resembled their former lifestyle of idolatry and serving false gods that is a significant change in the spiritual temperature and the direction of the land of israel Amen. we'd agree with that would we not so they are having this major shift in their thought process, in their practice, in their approach, in their attitude, and everything that is taking place. And then as you read through the next couple of verses, you find in verse number 4 that it says, Moreover he, that being Hezekiah, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give the portion of the priests and the Levites that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. 
And as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits, the corn, wine, and oil, and honey, and of all the increase of the field, and the tithe of all things brought they in abundantly. So what did Hezekiah do? He sent forth this command and he said, listen, it's time for us to reinstate the offering. It is time for us to reinstate the tithe. It is time for you as a people to get behind the temple and the house of God as you once did, as you once were engaged in. It is time to start doing that again. So notice in verse number 8 it says, It says, And when Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. So what does that mean? It means this, that the people brought so much that it would have been heaped into piles. So it says in verse number 9, Then Hezekiah questioned with the priest and the Levites concerning the heaps. In verse number 10, I have this underlined in my scripture or in my Bible. In verse number 10 it says, And Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have left plenty, for the Lord hath blessed his people, and that which is left is this great store. So you know what Azariah said? That as a result of the people bringing in their first fruits, as a result of the people bringing in their tithes, as a result of the people listening to the command that you've given, this is what has happened. We have been given so much that we have all of our needs met. We're able to eat. We've been able to do everything that needs to be done. And this is what is left, these heaps that you're asking us about. Now again, I don't think I have to tell you this, but I'm going to say it once more. This represents a serious shift in the thinking and the living and the, and the personal behavior of the Jews at this time there in the land of Judah. So you're watching this shift take place. You're watching this change of behavior. You're watching all these actions being completely different now than what they had been just a little bit prior to that. And why was that? Why was that? Well, you may remember a few weeks ago we talked about how Hezekiah seized his opportunity of influence. He took advantage of the influence he had. He took advantage of that authority that he had. And so if you were to look at this scenario and what all has happened in the land of Israel, somebody may say, well, how did that happen? How did all this come about? And the immediate default answer may be something like this. Well, Hezekiah as a king, he ordered it to happen, and the people had to do it in order to be obedient with him. And to an extent, that would be right, and to an extent, that would be accurate. But here's what I think the Scripture teaches us. I think the Scripture teaches us that there was a little bit more to it than just Hezekiah's verbal command telling Israel, this is what you need to do. Why would I say that? We'll jump down to verse number 21, or verse number 20, rather. Look there in verse number 20, it says, And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah... And wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. Now verse number 21 is important because it says this, And in every work that he began. Who are we talking about? Talking about Hezekiah. And in every work that he began, 
in the service of the house of God. So whether we're dealing with the service or serving in the house of God, it says, and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God. Notice what it says. He did it with all his heart and prospered. He did it with all his heart and prospered. So here's Hezekiah, and yes, he enjoys a position of authority, and yes, he enjoys a position of influence, and yet here is what the Scripture goes ahead and records for you and I, for our benefit. It says that in everything that Hezekiah did related to the service of the Lord, whether it be in the house of God, whether it be related to the law, whether it be related to the commandments, or in seeking God, here is what he did. He did this with all his heart. What is the heart a reference to? It's a reference to the inner man, is it not? It is a reference to a man or a woman's ambitions, desires, their passions, their dreams, what it is they long for and what it is they crave for. Okay, so what does it mean that he did this with all his heart? It means he did this with everything in him. You could say this of Hezekiah as it related to the service of the house of God, the law, the commandments, and seeking God. Here is what he did. He had a passion for doing this completely and entirely. Hezekiah was not interested in a half-hearted approach. Hezekiah was not interested in a half-baked effort. Hezekiah was not just going to kind of shoot from the hip and hope everything worked out. No. When Hezekiah set his mind to this, he went after it with his whole heart. Everything was going to be devoted to this because Hezekiah took it serious. How did such a shift in the thinking and the actions, the behavior of Israel take place so quickly? How did this happen? Well, he was the king and he had the authority and he had the influence. Again, there may be some merit to that and I believe that there is. But you know what they were able to watch? They were able to watch someone who was fully committed to what they were trying to accomplish in the land of Israel. They were looking at Hezekiah and they were seeing someone who was not just kind of approaching this with the hopes and the spirit or the attitude that maybe we'll be able to turn some things around. No, when they looked at Hezekiah, they saw someone who was giving one hundred percent to what it was he was trying to accomplish so as I thought about that I had this question recognizing that that is a great accomplishment I I asked myself this this simple question have I ever read or heard or known someone who accomplished something great And the obvious answer for myself was this, well, yes, of course I have. Maybe you've not known someone personally who has accomplished something great, but all we've got to do is read a history book and remind ourselves that there have been many people over the generations who have accomplished great things, right? Right. Okay, 
People all the time are accomplishing great things. There are contemporaries among us who right now, they are accomplishing great things from a worldly perspective. So here's the question I asked myself. Very simple question. Past that, okay? Are are there people accomplishing great things? Yes. Okay, so then this question followed up that question. How many people who accomplish great things are lazy in their approach to life? Those two things don't coexist with each other. When someone accomplishes something great, whether it be in the field of technology, whether it be in the field of medicine, whether it be in the field of some other realm that that we wouldn't consider tonight, whenever you see someone who has accomplished something great, you know what you will never have said of that person? That they just kind of took it with a half-hearted approach and they just kind of, you know, went through the motions, but they weren't really too sold out on the idea. They weren't really too interested in it, but they just kind of stumbled upon something great. That's not how the story goes. Now, they may have learned some things on accident. They may have learned some things from mistakes. They may have learned some things that they weren't realizing they were going to be learning. But I'm trying to show us something, that those who accomplish something great, they are never lazy in their approach. You know what they are? They are men and women who are driven because they are pursuing what concerns them or interests them with their whole heart. Why do they get up in the mornings? Because of that project or that idea that they've got in their mind that is driving them. So why do they go to work every day? Because that idea or that project is driving them. And why is it that they get up in the middle of the night and they make notes and they record ideas? Why are they doing that? Because that is driving them. Because it is everything within them that wants to see this accomplished, whatever it is they care about. See, Hezekiah had the same characteristics of people who are driven today to accomplish something. It was with his whole heart that he was going to do it. Or apparently he wasn't going to do it. He would either be in completely or he would not be in at all. But it would not be a half-hearted approach to what he was wanting to get done. And so this evening, I was thinking, of course, not just now, but in preparing for the sermon tonight, I, I was thinking this question. If I were to ask us tonight what we want to accomplish, what is it that we want to do with our lives, somebody may say, well, you know, I mean, that kind of sounds like the message you preached a few weeks ago. And I get it, but we're going to take this from a little bit different direction. But if I were to ask you tonight, you know, do you have dreams for your career? Some of you would probably say, yeah, I've got dreams for my career. If I were to ask you tonight, do you have financial dreams? Do you have financial goals that you want to achieve in life? Some of you would probably say, I've definitely got some financial goals. I've got some financial dreams. If I were to ask you a host of questions, I I would assume that many of us would say, yes, that is what I'd like, and yes, that is what I'd like to accomplish. That's what I want. And while all those things are good and fine and well and they have an appropriate place in our lives, I'd like to remind us tonight that none of that really has any eternal value. 
Whatever career choice we make, whatever financial goals we strive for and possibly achieve, whatever those things may be, those really don't have eternal significance attached to them. So I thought, what does have some eternal, long-lasting impacts? What does have some eternal long-lasting significance. And so you know where my mind went? Those same areas that it always goes. So I'm going to ask you some questions tonight, and these aren't hard questions, all right? So don't, don't get nervous, don't get uptight or anything like that. I, just, I want us to consider some questions. I want us to answer this first and foremost, and then we'll kind of build some sub-points sub under this, but I, I want us to ask this question, what do we want our personal lives to look like? Are we hearing this? What do I want my personal life to look like? What do you want your personal life to look like? So with that as kind of the umbrella and everything else kind of hanging underneath that, I want to ask you this question. What do you want your spiritual life to look like? You know, of things that matter, obviously the spiritual life has to be at the top or nothing else in life matters. So of our personal lives, what do we want our spiritual lives, our walk with God, to look like? Now, because we're in church and because of the setting, I think I know how most of us would answer and how most of us would respond. We'd say, well, I want my spiritual life to look like this, and I want to keep growing. I want to keep maturing. I want to keep developing. I, I want to keep getting deeper in my walk with God. And those are the right answers to give. Just so that you know, okay? Those are the right answers to give. To want to grow, to mature, to develop, to be strengthened, to be deeper, to be more mature. Those are the right answers to give. If somebody were to ever ask, what do you want out of your spiritual life? But let's move on a little bit past that. What kind of spiritual victories do we want? I know those work kind of hand in hand, but think about this. Are there any spiritual victories that tonight have given a chance to give testimony? W would there be some things that we'd say, you know, I'd love to get victory over this. You know, I've been struggling with this, and I'm dealing with this, and I've been wrestling with this, and, and this is what I've been going through, and, and you know, I've had this vice for X number of years, and I've had this in my life for so many years, and, and I'm still not doing this, and I'm still doing this. If we were to stand tonight and give testimony of something we'd like the victory over, would we have something? We ought to. Because if any of us think we've arrived, we're sadly mistaken. So when it comes to our spiritual lives, what would we like to accomplish? And the victories, what would we like to accomplish? This is kind of important because of the long-lasting effect that it has. When you look at your marriage, is that really what you want it to be? Or would you like it to get better? 
Oh, Brother Kyle, we're about as perfect as we could be. Well, good. But I promise you there's room for improvement. So, I mean, think about it. Just a simple question, right? This, this isn't painful. It's only painful if, you know, you're thinking painful thoughts. But to just answer the question, is this how you want your marriage to continue to be? Do you want it to continue going down this path? Do you want it to continue going down this direction? Is that what you want? Well, that, that's a question you have to answer that nobody else could answer for you. For those of us who are raising children, what do we want for those kids? What do we want? Do we want them to be the next great scientist? Do we want them to be the next great athlete? Do we want them to be the next great entrepreneur? Do we want them to be the next great whatever it may be? Or would we say something like this? I want my children to be a young man or a young woman who walks with God. What, what do we want? For those of us, and I'm kind of in that tweener stage, for those of us who, kid, who have kids who are grown, what do we want for them? What's our desire for them? What do we want to see God do in their lives? What do we want to see God accomplish in their lives? What is it that, that is a burden to us or a desire of ours? What is it that we want for them? As Christians... What kind of influence do we want to have on the unsaved around us? We work with lost people. We live by people who are unsaved. We, we have unsaved people in our family. What kind of influence do we want to have in their lives? Well, again, I think many of us would say we want to be a right influence. We want to be a positive influence. We want to show them Jesus Christ. We want to show them the benefits of salvation. We want to show them the joys of serving the Lord. Would we not say that? Amen. I would hope that we would. Let, let's get this. Careers up here are fine and, and, and financial goals are fine, but all that is really vanity of vanities going to pass away and it's really not important in the eternal scheme of things so when it comes to our spiritual lives when it comes to the spiritual victories when it comes to our marriage when it comes to our children when it comes to our grandchildren when it comes to influence among the lost what do we want now see all those are fairly simple questions to me, this is where the question gets difficult. How bad do we want it? So well, what do you mean? Well, it set up Hezekiah and what he was hoping to accomplish and, and the leadership that he gave and the approach that he took, whether it be with the service, the law, the commandment, or seeking God, what did he give? He gave it his all. He did it with all his heart. 
of all the things that you and I would say we want, of all the things that you and I would say that we'd like to, des- we'd like to accomplish and, and things that we desire to, to have said of us from a spiritual perspective, whatever it may be, this is a question that I find difficult to answer, not because I don't know the answer, but more times than not, I do know the answer. Do I want this bad enough that I'll give all my heart to it? With all my heart, do I really want to grow in my spiritual life? With all my heart, do I really want to mature? With all my heart, do I really want to get stronger? With all my heart, is that what drives me? Is that what consumes me? Is that what matters to me? Or is it more times than not a very half-hearted approach to my Christian life? How bad do I want this? When it comes to spiritual victories, how bad do I want this? Do I want it with all my heart or is it just something that I say amen to or nod my head to at church? Yeah, I want spiritual victories. Yeah, that's what I'm wanting for my life. Yes, I want to get victory over that. Yes, I want to get rid of this vice. Yes, I want to stop doing that and start doing this. Is it really what we want with all of our heart or is it something that in our heart of hearts we know we really don't care completely and entirely? It's not a passion. It's not a burden. It's not a desire of ours. We're just kind of going through the motions. But but. It doesn't drive us. What about our marriages? With all of our hearts, do we want it to get better than it is right now? Well, well, I mean, uh, well, uh, well, you don't quite understand. Well, you just, you don't know. Well, you, hold on, hold on. Do you want it to get better? Say, well, Brother Kyle, it's good. Okay, I'm glad it's good. Do you want it to get better? Well, yeah, well, well, how bad do we want it to get better? It's a fair question, is it not? The only reason we might squirm a little bit is because we know the answer that it's really not something that drives us. It's not really something that has all of our heart. We're happy to just go through our marriage with just kind of a half-hearted, half-baked, half-cocked, shoot-from-the-hip kind of approach to the marriage. The truth is, for many, it's not something that we really, really want. It's just something that we kind of want, but it's not going to get all of our heart and all of our desire and all of our cravings and all of our wants. What about raising godly children? I want it. No, no, no. How bad do we want it? With all our heart? What are our kids seeing? Young or old and somewhere in between? What are the kids seeing? Are they seeing someone who wants it with all their heart or someone who just says it because they know it's the right thing to say at church, but it's not really anything that drives them in their daily lives? When it comes to our influence and when it comes to trying to have influence and impact on the lives of the unsaved, how bad do we want this? We want it with all of our heart? Eh, 75% maybe. Well, I don't know, maybe 50%. I don't know about you, but it's a hard question because it strikes me at who I am as a person 
because I know how bad I really want it, and more times than not, it's not with all my heart. And maybe I'm just preaching to myself tonight, but you know what I need to be reminded of from time to time? Lazy people don't accomplish great things. Are you hearing me? Lazy, undisciplined people never, ever, ever accomplish great things. Lazy people talk about all the things they want to accomplish, but they don't have the drive or the get-up or the gumption to get it done. The people who accomplish things, even from a spiritual perspective, even from the perspective of things that matter eternally, the things or the people who get those things accomplished are the ones who are driven by those things. How bad do we want to grow in our spiritual lives? How bad do we want spiritual victory? How bad do we want the marriage to continue to flourish and to to grow and to prosper? How bad do we want our children to serve God? How much influence do we really want to have in the lives of other people? See, if we ask ourselves that difficult question and we'll be honest with the answer, then we'll know tonight whether or not we really want it or if it's just something we give lip service to. Again, Hezekiah is quite the example, is he not? Whenever it came to the service, whenever it came to the law, whenever it came to the commandments, whenever it came to seeking God, he did it with all his heart and prospered and was blessed and succeeded, did well because of it. You know, if you and I made this our heart's desire, you know what I'm convinced would happen? We would prosper. If whatever it is truly became our heart's desire, you know what I'm convinced would happen? I'm convinced it would cause there to be some visible results in our lives. So I'm going to ask you the question, whatever it is, Do you really want it with all your heart? And if you don't, just be honest with yourself and admit it. No, I really don't want it that bad. But if we're going to admit that, then let's stop playing the game like we even really care about it. Because if we don't really care about it, we're not going to see the results that we say we want. Do we really want it with all our hearts? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to give consideration to things that matter tonight, things that have some eternal value attached to them. God, as we think about those things, I pray that you'd help us to be honest with that simple yet difficult question as to how much we really want these things to be so. Lord, if it's something that we truly want, then we won't have to be reminded to pursue it. If it's something we really want, we'll not have to be reminded to pray about it. 
God, if it's something we really want, we're not going to have to be told to, to go after it. And I know for myself, so many times I need the pep talk, I need the reminder. And Lord, that just reveals that it's really not in my heart completely to see these things happen. And so, God, I pray that you'd help me. I pray that you'd help anyone who might be able to identify with me tonight. To be honest with the question, and then to take the appropriate steps past that. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.